welcome to the At Peace Parents podcast. I'm Casey, and I'm here to empower you in your decision-making as a parent of a demand-avoidant child. My goal is to share insights that will generate aha moments and support your connection with your child. I'm a mom of two amazing little boys, one of whom is PDA, and I've worked with hundreds of parents just like you to teach them how to lead their child out of burnout and find the clarity, peace, and sense of community they need. Today, I want to flip the script a little bit and go a little bit more (laughs) woo-woo and a little bit less science-y. It's the other side of progress with PDA, but I never start with this because I view the more science-based approach as as an entry point for many people. But I'm going to start with a story. So buckle up, everybody. I'm going to talk about the darkest depths of my trauma cave and the other way to view progress because it's um it's the yin to the yang of focusing on your child's data and it is i hope a very helpful perspective especially for those of you who are deep deep into burnout and or felt that you weren't making any progress and or were not able to implement any accommodations to the way you expected over the last two weeks because Hashtag life with a PDA, right? So this is the other side and a good way you can think about it, even when you feel like you you're burnt out or you don't have it in you necessarily to be using tracking and implementing systematically. Okay. So three years ago, over three years ago, I was in what I call my trauma cave, <laughs> the deepest, darkest depths of my trauma cave. And this was not a time when I was posting or publicly speaking on anything or with families like I am right now. So this was a while ago, but I want to share honest, honestly with you what it looked like so that if you are there or ever experience this, you can use me as a reference point. So during the pandemic, my son could not access school. He was enrolled in public school. However, he could not tolerate even one minute of online schooling. It was a very intense time. He was refused, my son was refusing therapy. This was when, how old was he? He was five and a half. You know, he was younger than five and a half. At this point, we still had screen time limits. So I had a one and a half year old and a five and a half year old and i couldn't see any of my family so my sister and my mom live nearby but it was in michigan and we literally didn't see anybody i had no caregiving support no house cleaning support no support just no support my husband um, has a pretty intense job that is related to uh, election administration in in michigan and 2020 was a, a pretty big year for elections and democracy and I don't want to get into politics, but I'm just emphasizing that this was his job. So he was gone. Even though he was in the house, he just he was totally working 24 hours a day. He was not present. He was not able to be emotionally supportive. And you know, he wouldn't mind me telling you this because he's self-aware that this was the case because it was a big moment in our relationship and we've worked through it. But My emphasis here is that I felt like my life was hell. I felt like I was in the deepest, darkest circle of hell. And I thought to myself, like, I hate myself. I hate my kids. 
I hate my life. And what did I do to deserve this? And I know that many of you have had those thoughts cross your mind, but I'm saying them out loud because I don't want you to feel crazy or alone. I could not see the good in my son. I was totally disassociative, shut down and dorsal. My husband would give me two hours a day where he would take the kids and I would, no matter how much sleep I had, I would fall asleep. Like the second I got into my room, my body would just shut down. So I was not in a good place. Okay. And my son was violent and it felt like I couldn't keep my younger baby safe from him. And I remember this moment where we were in the basement, which was like padded, you know, we had like padded, I had like gotten like gymnastics floors and hammock swings and trampolines and crash pads, thankfully, before the pandemic started. So we spent like just months down there. And it was literally me just like trying to make sure my older son didn't harm the younger one and just constant screaming. And I remember I was in that victim place, which is what I'm describing to you, where I felt like a complete victim of my family, of my life, of my situation. And I would always think to myself, like, how did this happen? I used to be an academic. I used to have a really good career. I was in Washington, DC, all these things. And then I had this moment of clarity when my son was being violent, where I realized like everything in my life was leading up to that point. And my previous work was in not was in nonviolence and the trauma of civil war in Colombia, South America. That's what my doctoral research was on. And I realized actually this does make sense. Like I thought I was a scholar of peace and nonviolence and here I am being asked to practice it minute to minute and day to day. And it was like something clicked in me where I was like, I thought back to the times where, you know, I was in rural Latin America, rural Colombia with people who were explaining to me their local peace building efforts where they were like showing me the building where their neighbors had been tortured and how they like took they washed blood off the walls to turn it into a memory center or a woman peace builder who was telling me about her starting these peace um, ceremonies and her walking into the church arm in arm with the paramilitary who had killed her son. Right. So I thought back to my research and I was like, I need to like reframe this and realize that like if I'm being met with violence and perceiving violence, the only way is to respond with nonviolence. And that might be my only agency, but that is agency, right? And then I read A Man's Search for Meaning, and he talks about like between stimulus and response, that's where your agency lies. And like, so for me, in my darkest moment, I was like, this is where I can make progress is to ascribe meaning to the practice of non-reactivity, to the practice of nonviolence, even if nothing ever changes, even if this is my life indefinitely. And at, the, at that time, I thought it might be. I did not see a way that my son was getting better. I, things were getting worse. I did not imagine that things would improve or that they would make progress which crazy for, you know, over three years later, I'm teaching this, but I went through the thought exercise of what is this, what if this never changes? Like, where am I going to find my progress or my meaning? And it became about me. 
And so it became, okay, today I was able to pause for five seconds before I got angry instead of no seconds, right? Or I only lost my shit two times instead of 10. Or I was able to bring humor to a situation where my nervous system was super activated. And it might just be like once, like I did that once. But when I would lay my head on the pillow every night, I would think about like, wow, I did that. And I'm going to hang my hat on that as progress, right? And that is what broke the stuckness and the standstill. And it took years. Or like an example, I find I found compassion for my son one time in a day, right? Like that's where I was at. So if you're there, I just wanted you to know, like you can still make progress. And sometimes this is where you have to start because the accommodations are here for your child and their brain wiring, but they're also tools and practices that will bring you back to yourself. How? It will bring you back to, this is my perspective, your true Buddha nature, your true nature of like nobility, your innate goodness, your mindfulness, your patience. Like I know that if I can have this, you can have it because I am not an inherently chill, non-reactive person. I'm a very anxious, type A controlling person that has unraveled and reimagined myself. So in doing these accommodations, I want you to also think of them as you move forward out of this program as a way that you can find progress, meaning in the daily steps, in the like, okay, I use declarative language for 20 minutes today, right? Not just like, is my child going to go to school someday, but rather like I can hang my hat on the day because I paused and I was mindful and I was patient regardless of the outcome, right? And so this happens one minute at a time, one day at a time. But I want you to find meaning in this if you can. It's an invitation. You don't have to do this. <laughs> you don't have to do anything. But I'm going to strew some offerings for ideas for how this might bring meaning to your life and feel free to drop in like, oh, that resonates with me. Okay, so first I'm gonna ask you, could implementing accommodations and practicing them help you potentially heal intergenerational trauma as meaning? For example, if you're feeling like it's difficult because you were raised by an undiagnosed PDA parent right and you've always felt like you were controlled and like it wasn't enough and that it was a black hole or you know an abyss of never being enough co-regulation and attention towards your parent and therefore you feel trapped by your child this is your the accommodation approach and approaching it with mindfulness and patience and your agency is your portal to peace you might be realizing your PDA or neurodivergent, right? It might be bringing up a lot for you because A, your amygdala reacts to not having autonomy or equality, and you may have your own trauma that you're recognizing because you were never accommodated, right? Again, this can be a portal 
to support your growth and healing and peace. If you are never seen, held, witnessed for the miracle that you are as a human, it can be very hard to do this for someone else because you're like, well, no one did this for me, right? However, being there for your child, implementing these accommodations is your portal, okay? So if you don't like the woo-woo stuff, just scrap it. But this is the yin to the yang. And in my programs, I find this is like, both matter and you can't fully have one without the other of course as you continue like don't go into traumaville don't push yourself be aware of your own threshold of tolerance but also allow yourself to dance on the edge of comfort right of like oh it's really hard for me to do this but i'm gonna i can do it anyways right versus I'm going to traumatize myself if I keep pushing, but that's the spirit of this practice. And I know you can do it. And even though my son now eats more, he goes to school now, he's no longer violent. The kids actually like went somewhere together and played peacefully. That has happened for me, but on an equally profound level, I had truly let go that that had, would ever happen and have found much more peace, non-reactivity, letting go and trusting life than I ever have in the past. And I also hope that for you. So it's like both. I want both. And they're deeply intertwined is your path and your child's path because you are the catalyst for your child's transformation, regardless of age, regardless of stage. Thanks everyone for being here with me at the At Peace Parents podcast. This is your source for all things related to understanding, supporting, accommodating, and advocating for your PDA child. To go deeper on any of these topics, check out my course offerings and masterclasses at the website www.atpeaceparents.com. To completely transform the way you think about and relate to your child and to bring peace and stability to your home, join us for the next cohort of the Paradigm Shift program.